0: great to see you guys this morning. Thank you for being here. And I know a lot of, who's had a nice sleepy morning? Anybody had that, You get that rain come over? You're like, can I go back to bed? You guys did because you're here at second service. So (laughs) glad you guys are, glad you guys are here that you got up, got moving, you survived the rain. A couple of quick things before we get going. Kevin, Kevin did a great job last week, did he not? Let's just (laughs) praise God for Kevin this morning. The McCollums are actually, they took off yesterday, so they are, they are out getting their, uh, they're starting their training, so we are uh, excited for them and praying for them as they go, and uh, also we want to remember that we've been challenged with the, inv- the invitation of uh, inviting three people in the next three months, and so hopefully you guys will jump in and join us with that. We are starting a new series, on, on, on another hand, we're starting a new series here in Upgrade, and uh, we are... Um, we're talking about Romans again. We're back to the book of Romans. We're going to be moving forward through this and the challenge involved in this. I hope we'll, um, we'll wake you up for the year and get you, get you thinking. And so before we do that, though, I would really like to ask God to bless this series and bless our time together this morning. So if you join with me in prayer, let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Lord God, uh, thank you so much for the worship and for you and for just everything that you've, you've given to us that we can give back to you. And we praise you that you would give us this opportunity this morning to be in your word, to have a chance to, um, to walk with you uh, for a time today so that you can teach us. Lord, there's kinds, all kinds of distractions that are in our lives um, this morning. There's all kinds of weather-related feelings and situations. And some of us may have had a rough weekend. Some of us may be here just ready to go. We pray wherever we're at that you just clear away the clutter. Help us focus on you in this series and challenge us to really walk in your way to live out your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, at this morning, in fact, at this point, I'm just a remind if you do have a junior high or high schooler, they took off, and you guys are free to let them go, too, if they would like to go. But what we're doing is we've, uh, we're talking about upgrades. And what's interesting about this idea of upgrades is that all of us have dealt with some kind of upgrade. I mean, how many of you guys ever received an upgrade on your flight? Anybody here? Actually, up? nobody. No, oh, a couple. Okay, yeah. You're like, I never have. So it's like it's one of those bummers for me that I'm like, go on a flight, never get an upgrade. What is that like? And so how many guys have an up, have gotten an upgrade on your phone? All right. I have never gotten that either. So it's like uh <laughs> So that you know, upgrade. I don't know a whole lot about them, but the one part of upgrades I do understand is upgrading your operating system on your computer. I think everybody encounters that, especially on my on my Windows on my Windows computer. I'm, I'm working on this thing. Suddenly, it's like you want to shut down. We just upgraded you. I'm like, I don't want to shut down. it keeps bugging me for the rest of the day to shut down my computer. To finish the, up, up, the upgrade. But even more is the, uh, the Apple upgrades. Man, they, 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 turn, they, they do an upgrade like it's some kind of brand new system. They're like, woo, we're upgrading! You're supposed to be all excited about it and like ready to click on the upgrade button. And so a lot of us in this last move from seven to eight, you jumped on, you upgraded instantaneously, you were pumped up to get your walking stats and everything down, and your, your phone's all ready to go. But the bottom line was my, my friend Steven upgraded his. He gets on there, gets uh, the operating system from 7 to 8, and loses all his data, all his apps. And he's just like, oh, I hate this upgrade. So because of that story, I haven't upgraded that either yet. So uh, I haven't time. besides, the other fact is that if I don't have enough space on my iPad to upgrade to, I'd have to get rid of two very important apps to me in order to upgrade to this latest iOS. And I'm not willing to let go of certain apps right now to do that. And that to me is a big parable because what is going on in our human lives is God has installed and sent out an upgrade for humanity. He did it through Jesus Christ. We call it the gospel and we call it a transformation, but I think we can understand the idea of an upgrade, taking something that is set in one way and adjusting it and growing it and moving it to something greater. And that's exactly what God is doing in us. He has sent out this upgrade into our society, into our world through Jesus Christ to change us. To make us new, improved, and better. And some of us, even though you're Christians and you've received the gospel and that's working in you, you haven't given yourself fully to it. You haven't, you haven't kept going with it. You kind of said, I'll take this much. Maybe you've purchased the gospel, but you have yet to allow it to really sink into your system and do everything it possibly can in you. Now, for me, maybe you've got some old things you like to hold on to. Some things you, you don't want God to totally take you over completely. So it's interesting that Paul is really going to challenge us that we should have a, I think he's saying, let the gospel have a complete transformation in you. You need to give yourself over to it completely. And that's what he's going to begin with. But he does it by by concluding. He's into this conclusion section of the book of Romans that's going to challenge us. He started off back here in Romans chapter 1 and 1 through 3. And basically there he said, listen, all of humanity is sinful, male, female, Boy, girl, child, you know, all this, child, All this stuff, we are all messed up. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. You and I are all messed up, mired down in sin. And the only way out of that, the only way to escape the judgment of God and the day of reckoning is literally to have trust that God has paid for our sins in Jesus Christ. And that's what he gets into, that by trusting God will give us the righteousness that we need to be standing before him and enter into heaven. In chapters 6, 7, and 8, he then goes on to say, you don't get that by doing a bunch of works. You don't get it through the law. It doesn't make you say, here's a bunch of rules you have to follow, and when you do that, you'll be good. No, and it's not a license to get out of hell free card. You know, so you go live like hell because you got out of hell, and that's not the idea either. And so there's this literal point that he says, no, it's about a relationship with your maker, God has restored you to peace with God. You should live in that peace with God in an intimate, real relationship with the creator of the universe and your creator. When we do that, that begins to make a a giant transformation as the spirit of God moves in us and motivates us and gives us the promise of eternity on the new earth and in the new heaven, beyond, in, in this other place after the resurrection. And then he goes, this is such huge promises, but is God faithful? And in chapters 10, 11, and 10 and 11, he kind of says, absolutely, 9, and 11, God is faithful 100%. He will not back off us. He will not give up on us. And so he says in chapter 12, this is why we should give ourselves fully and completely to letting the gospel affect every aspect of who we are. And that's where we begin. If you will, grab your Bible. We're going to open up to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verses one through two. We're only going to go through these two verses. There's plenty of material here, trust me. So, starts this way. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, grab a Bible. They're under the seats. You can join us on page 947, and you can be right there with us. Paul writing again in the book of Romans chapter 12, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which we just laid out, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Paul starts and he says, guys, I need you to hear me. This upgrade begins when we surrender our lives fully to God. He says it right like this. He says, I appeal to you. I, 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 I call you guys. He's not, this is not a command. He's literally begging us to hear him. I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourself. It's your choice. Present yourself a living sacrifice before God. Now, it's kind of an interesting terminology, this idea of a living sacrifice. But the word, but, but he's saying, give your body over as a living sacrifice, meaning your life. What we do in our bodies is our life. Give your life over to God. Surrender it completely to him. It's a sacrifice. Now, some of us may not know what a sacrifice is. We think of, oh yeah, it's like giving up something difficult. Right. And the Old Testament, literally, it was a picture that is all throughout the Old Testament where if you and I were subsistence farmers, likely in the ancient world, you had to grow your food and live it. Some of us may have been you know, given a bumper crop, we were like, yay, we've got plenty to eat. We got lots of oxen and lambs because, hey, they were, they were productive this year. And so either you sinned or you're really happy with what God did for you, and you would start to go give an offering or a sacrifice. The way you did it was you'd begin to look around in your crops, and you'd take out one-tenth of all your crops and take it to God. Or if you had sinned, you'd look around in your flocks and as you are looking around, you would figure out where, what kind of animal you were going to bring before the Lord to give it to him. Now, obviously, an economically-minded person would sit around and go, well, I'm going to give, uh, I'm not going to give, I'll give a middle-grade one. You know, not the worst, not the best. I'll give a middle-grade, that's pretty good. Some of us might be like, well, I got a sick one here. We can get rid of it anyway. I'll just take that to... No, God says none of, that's a, none, none of that's okay. You need to pick out the best one without blemish. These are the best lambs, the best oxen. They had to have no blemishes and they were to be taken. And then what they would do is probably tie tie a rope around its neck, maybe sell for money and go get another one. But most likely at some points there were people just walking around off to the temple, walking through Israel with this ox or this goat or whatever, not a goat, but ox or sheep behind him holding this rope. And people were going, that guy's going to the temple. When they got to the temple and it would say it was a sin offering, this animal would be brought and a priest would approach. Now, you weren't allowed inside, so you'd stand at the doorway, and just just like, just right, and you'd lay your hands on the animal, and you'd confess your sins over the animal. That animal would then be taken, its neck would be cut, the blood would be poured out, they would take some of it, sprinkle it in various locations for ritual cleansing. Then they would take the animal and gut it and do everything, butcher it, take it, and put it up and cook it. So in other words, the temple was a really good barbecue pit. But the idea is that they took it there and it would either burn completely up to God or they would take it and they would take pieces of it and eat as a meal together. The whole point being that once you brought a sacrifice, it was gone. It was not yours anymore. It was God's to do as he pleased with it, to give it to the Levites or to give it back a portion to you or to be burned up completely. It's not yours anymore. And the point is true for us as well. When we realize what we have done is we bring ourselves as a living sacrifice. We're not dead. We're still alive. It's a daily situation. We're constantly going to bring this, but we're to sacrifice and place our whole lives before him. You and I are bringing ourselves and saying, God, here am I. Here's what I, here's me for you. And so in other words, we will sacrifice the totality of our lives. This is difficult because this means there's nothing left. Your dreams, your ambitions, your finances, your relationships, all sacrificed unto God. Your totality of your life saying, God, here I am, it is yours, I lay it before you, it is no longer mine. Not only is that costly, that's scary. Because all of us have something that we're wrestling with in that question. I I really believe it. And maybe I can pull it out in this way. That likes to scare. It says this, what if we were to look at God and said, God, if you did blank, I'd say no. If you took blank away from me, I'd, I'd say no. God, if you, didn't, if you didn't let me write that book, I'd probably, I'd probably be upset with you in the guidance of my life. God, if you didn't let me have that job, if you didn't let me get into that college, God, if you didn't let me let me do something more in my life than what I'm doing right now, I would be really upset. I, in fact, I wouldn't want you, I would tell you, no, you can't do that. You need to give me something more. If you don't, God took away from you the opportunity to have children. You look at God and say, hey, God took away the opportunity for you to be married. God took away the opportunity for you to live and see your children get married or your parents to see you get married. You know, all of us have something that we're holding on to, some dream, some some expectation in life, some position, that if God was to take that away, you'd be like, wait a minute, hold on a second here, God. That is where sacrifice begins. It's right there that we truly are saying, God, my whole self is given to you. My desires, my dreams, my ambitions, my stuff is yours. And when we are there, when we're at that position, we suddenly are confronted with the idea of a living sacrifice. We are saying, God, not my life, your will be done. Not my way, your way. God, I am willing to follow you. Now there's an obvious immediate objection. If you're not a Christian here this morning, and you're going like, why in the world would anybody want to give up their ambitions, their desires, their wants for their life and give it over to some deity, I mean, that just makes no sense. When You you like your life. You like what you want. You know what you want. You're you're aiming at something. Well, there's there's a couple of ways that I can address that objection. And, And first of all, I want to kind of say it this way, that really all of us give ourselves to something. In my observation, all of us lay ourselves before something. It's in our ambition. It's in our drive. It's in our desire. We start charging after something, and when that happens, you've given yourself to it and it takes you over. There's a very real sense that many of you can't tell your job what to do. Your job tells you what to do. If you've given yourself enough to it, it starts to take over your life. If you've got enough stuff, you're working to keep your stuff up. A lot of us are, isn't that true? we've got a we've got a lot of relationships and we're after that family member and it's going we're going to have to make other sacrifices things are going to be given up when you're going to have to lay th- things aside that's the nature of even marriage you're literally saying i'm i'm not going to go for certain ambitions we're going to live together we're going to make a new life together this is all part of what happens when we give ourselves to something fully and completely there's something lost in fact when we do this then I want you to think about it. If sin is defined as doing not what God wants, we give ourselves to doing our thing, not what God wants. We're giving ourselves to sin. Jesus makes it very clear. He says this, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That in fact, there's an enslavement that occurs that it controls you. You don't control it. I'll give you an example. If you're struggling with cussing, stop for a month. Just just stop right now. Do it for one month. You're going to have a hard time. An easy one is just to look at all the guys. Here's how much I believe that we're enslaved to sin still as humanity. Men, stop lusting for a, for a month. Just do that. All the men right here are like, Shh, man code, man, be quiet. You can't say that. Because, men, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be nigh on impossible because of the reality that we are bathed and we are controlled and we are in this world of sin. And so, look, we give ourselves over to something, it takes us over, it controls us. So why not give yourself over to God? Well, why would you want to? Because he gave his all for us. You see, God knows that we, are, we have sinned and we've broken his rule, we've broken his law, we've done evil, and one day there's a day of judgment coming in which he already knows the verdict, He already knows he has to declare us guilty. He already knows he has to declare us that we will be people separated from him because he can't have sin near him. And when that happens, we will live apart from God forever. We call that hell. And God has done everything he can because you're not on that day of reckoning to wake us up and show us. He gave us his all by coming as a baby that we just celebrated at Christmas named Jesus. He grew amongst us. He didn't ignore our suffering. He involved himself in our suffering. He cared about us. He listened to us. He loved us. He pointed us in the right direction. What did we give back to him? Death. And yet even when we killed him on the cross, he bore our sin the very, and took the punishment that we should deserve on judgment day. That if we would trust in him, we would be freed from that, have a right relationship with God, and in his resurrection be made new. He gave us his all. And that's all that Paul has laid out to say, God has given you his all. Why wouldn't we give our all back? That seems reasonable to me. In fact, it seems reasonable to Paul. Look down at your text again. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. First, he notes that this will look different. The world doesn't do this kind of thing sacrifice himself over to to a god who can control their life in fact that looks holy it's different the word holy is another way of saying different set apart for use by god god wants to use you he wants to take you to the next level he wants to bring you along now that means that you may sacrifice some dreams and god says i want to use that dream here it is but he knows you better than you know yourself And he can use you in a great way. And this is important to keep this in mind because he says it's holy and acceptable to give yourself over to God. Which is your spiritual worship? See, it's right there. You should love that when Bible translators do this. They put this term in there, spiritual worship. And all of us sit here going, huh? What does that mean? Spiritual worship. It gives you this idea like ghosts floating around going, woo, or something like that. I don't know what it is. Spirit the translation in the greek is can be translated better your reasonable worship in other words your reasonable worship or reasonable service to god see worship is anything that you do that you do for god that is not sin that's worship And what he's saying is, since God gave you his all, isn't it reasonable in our service to give our all back to him, to put ourselves before God and say, here I am completely, I am yours. That is the reasonable act of service. That is the reasonable worship. And it is towards God. And so he says, this is what we should be doing. This is how we should be living, giving ourselves over fully to God. And in this way, this upgrade begins. We say, God, here I am. I'm going to let you reset me. Do what you want. Take my life and start changing it. And now he does. He begins that. But where does that begin? It actually begins effectively in the mind. Our way of thinking. The upgrade has its full effect by upgrading first and foremost the way that you think. Look down at verse 2 again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What's interesting is the mind is actually the place that governs our choices and our reasons. Well, the way that you think is the way that you act. In fact, we call this a worldview. The way that you see life or a mindset adjusts the way that you live. And we all have a commonality as being Americans in Corona. I can say the name Rimpaw and that means something to you. I can tell a New Yorker Rimpau and they'd be like, what did you just say? You know, it's a weird word to other people outside of Corona. But Rimpaw is a street we know. And Rinpoche is a street we drive on. And we, so we all have a commonality in the way that we see things. But we're all very different too. I have a friend who, who, who grew up kind of on, in the street world with the gangs around him and stuff like that. And as we would sit down and talk about stuff, you know, maybe we would drive down the street and we, we would see a cop has pulled over somebody on the side of the road. And we would both probably go through two radically different mental exercises. Well, I while well, him growing up on the street because of his experiences and what he's dealt with with police officers and things like that, may think, man, I wonder, why, I wonder what that cop is doing, why he's doing it. On the meantime, on my life, growing up in suburban Corona and having family members who are police officers, I'm looking at the guy in the car going, man, I wonder what that guy in the car was doing to get pulled over. Very, and neither of us would be necessarily wrong. We don't know what's really going on. We're just interpreting these things differently because of the way that we think. We've both been formed by two things. First, you're formed by what you take in as your inputs. I like to call them your sources. Everybody's got sources. You don't have to be an informant to have sources. You know, no, we all got sources, and those sources derive from different places in our lives. In fact, what's fascinating is that I love having conversations with people and tell them I believe the Bible's absolutely 100% true, infallible, does not lie to us. And they look at me like, you are a crazy person. That's an old book. How can you believe that book is old? I say, wait, what are you talking about? Look right here, it's got historical accuracy. They say, well, the History Channel said. What's interesting is they believe the History Channel never lies to them, even about aliens. I'm just kidding. The... You saw that one. The, but people literally have sources and they believe they do not lie to them. It may be, it may be Wikipedia, it may be an internet site, it may literally be the Encyclopedia Britannica of us. in there, it's absolutely true. Not necessarily. Maybe a television program, a documentary, it may be some guy with the letters PhD behind him and they think that guy never lies. And the trick is that everybody assumes something is true, takes that in and believes it, and therefore starts to think with it and make actions in their lives. That's a source. And there are multiple sources in our world. The second is our experiences. And so in our experiences, we often think we're always right. Well, this is what happened to me. I'm right. And you can remember probably getting an argument with your brother or sister when you were a kid or something, and you were right, and they're saying, no, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. You know, we have different ways of thinking that we're right. And I'm the only person that never lies to me, is is oftentimes what we think. Except we know better, don't we? We lie to ourselves all the time. Lie to ourselves to get away with something so we feel better, so I'll believe something maybe that I don't necessarily think is right. But if you're careful and you start looking at the way that you think and why you think that way, you see that you've already been formed in a way. And what Paul's saying is that you need to get rid of the old way of being formed for a new way. You need to have an upgrade, have something changed in your mind. In fact, he says this, do not be conformed to this world. And what he's saying is stop letting the current age program your mind. The word world there can be translated age, and it goes back to a Jewish concept of the world being divided into two time periods. The current age and the future, in their mind, the Jews would say messianic age. And so there was this... From Adam and Eve up to the coming of the Messiah, and you'd have a break, and then a new age begins where there's peace and harmony, and righteousness rules, and the king of king of everything is is a Jewish king, and and that's kind of and it's and he rules for God, and that's kind of their two vision. Jesus believed in this. In fact, what he said was the new age, this coming age, is actually the kingdom of God. Maybe you've heard that terminology, and the kingdom of God is when God rules over the world perfectly. In the meantime, we are in the present evil age. Evil? I don't think this place is evil. No, no, get listen to me and we need to make this clear. This is going to help you if you're a Christian. I hope it will help you if you're a non-Christian think about how we think. And what it's saying is this. In the present age, the age is dominated by sin. Remember back challenging us to not do certain things. It's going to be very hard to not sin in the world. We, it, you, you go through it, you're going to find out it's dominated by sin. That's Adam and Eve, like a dropper, put in us this sin that has been flooded through the system, comes through all the children, shows up in all of our hearts, and therefore whatever we do and whatever we produce, we'll never reach utopia. You can try the communist idea, you can try the capitalist idea, you can try the the dictator idea, we will always inevitably mess things up because we're sinful. And so what's happening is that humanity, which is made sinful, creates a world system that is sinful, that gets in wars, fights with each other. We produce family problems that are sinful, and it's all backed up by this demonic world that's also acting to force us in those ways. You say, oh, that sounds so ridiculous. You're, now you're going to tell me you can't watch TV, and you can't listen to the CDs, and you can't, because that's where a lot of pastors, I want to say time out, no. I want to make it very clear. There are influences this world gives to you, and they come through things like television, internet, radio, music. They come through these things, but these things, in and of themselves, are not evil. Culture, in and of itself, is not evil. Ideas can be evil, actions from ideas are evil. Let me clarify. I could hold up here a bottle of alcohol. In and of itself, it is not evil. In and of itself. But if the idea is presented to me that this will help ease my pain and shall help me to have a great time if I drink enough of it, so much so that, it, that I lose all my inhibitions and I do whatever, now you've got a bad idea that when acted upon becomes an evil called drunkenness. And this is how it works. The internet in and of itself is not evil, but presented with an idea that you can gain something that is wicked using it in that manner or having the idea pushed to you through the internet, that can and is evil. And so what I want to challenge you guys is that the conformity of our minds from the world does not have to do with the objects. So you can never legally cut everything off From you and survive being conformed by it. What causes us to be conformed to the world is this one idea. I'm going to use these things as amusement. What does that word mean? The word amuse has help, it helps when you understand the word to muse upon something is to think, to ponder deeply. When you amuse yourself, The A negates musing. It's like atheist. Theist means God. A means no God. This means no thought. Amusement is to sit in front of something and just let it in. To consume it. To eat it without thought. And to let it shape you without your interaction. Guys, what things in our lives are we being amused by? Are we allowing to conform our thinking Remember, it's not the things themselves, it's the thoughts coming to us, and we all have thoughts that are conformed by this world, that are running through our heads, that are challenging us all the time. Maybe you're in an argument with somebody, and you're thinking, I hate me yelling, I can't believe I did that, and you start talking to yourself. That's your thinking. You may even call yourself names. What does your mind say when it goes quiet? Right now lately mine says, shake it off, shake it off. Because you know, it's been in our car all all for a while. So I'm like, Taylor Swift, go away. So sorry. The, stop judging me. Let's say anyway. Here's what I do want us to test though. Measure your amusements. Measure them. What inputs are you not thinking about? What TV shows? What, what Instagram feed? What, what are you just letting your eyes take in, your ears pull in? What conversations from your friends are you literally not backing up going, wait a minute, is this good, right, safe? Is this acceptable, pleasing to God? Is this good? And that's your test. That's your challenge. And right now, I think you should take a few seconds and start mentally noting, or even on your notes right here, which I hope you guys are all taking notes, that you're able to just write down, you know what, it's this show, it's this song, it's this thing, it's that. And as that goes on in your mind, you're going to begin to indicate what you're not thinking about, but it's already shaping you because it's coming up. It's singing in your head. It's already playing. And it's shaping you. Eventually, it will come up at a time when you need something and it's not going to give you aid? How many of us hold now views that 50 years ago, we would have said that's horrible? Because we just let the world shape us. We don't think. But if everybody says it, well, if that's on TV, well, and we feel something before we think about it, there you're starting to see the conformity of the world. So, think about those things. Get that list in your head. Where, what are those inputs? And maybe as you bring those before God, bring them there. Allow Him to challenge you. Because right there, it's going to show you something. Here, here's the little acid test. My friend had this happen to him. His daughter was watching a television show. And he walks in. This is way back when she was in youth. And he's like, What are you watching? She's like, Oh, it's that really bad. So, he sits down, and starts watching it. And he's like, This is awful. She said, that's not that bad. She's like, would you watch this if Jesus was sitting here on the couch with you? She's like, yeah. And he's like, let's watch this some more. And he's like, would you watch this? And at the time, Pastor Ike was, was the senior pastor of the church. Would you watch this with Pastor Ike sitting here? And she's like, no, no, never. I turn it, I turn it off. And it's like, yeah, somehow Pastor Ike had a position higher than God at that point. But... <laughs> Think about it in those terms. If Jesus was watching this with you, critiquing it, talking to you about it, having a conversation with you about what you were taking in, what would it be? And now you've disengaged from amusement and you've started to ponder and deal with the conformity. Now, just like in any upgrade, they have to delete the old files, you need to put something back in. There has to be something waiting to bring the new processing up. And that's what God gives us in the next few verses. He says, look, you're going to upgrade your mind through the word. God upgrades our mind through the word. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let it be made new. That word renewal and that word transform is where we got the idea of upgrade in general. Let him upgrade your thinking. How does this happen? Well, the idea of upgrade in the ancient text, in, the, in a Christian word, would be to be sanctified, to be changed, to be made more like God, So let him change us. And Jesus said this when he was talking to his disciples. He said, I want them to be in the world, but not of the world. So set them apart, sanctify them in the truth. Your word Is truth. And two weeks ago, we made it very clear that God's word is sitting in our hands if you're holding your Bible or in your device if you've got it there. This is God's communication to us. And if you really want to check that back out, you can go to our podcast and look that up from two weeks ago and look at that argument. But the bottom line here is that God is speaking to us and he's saying you want to know how to think about life, ask the creator, I'll start installing the right way to think. And it's from the word. Let it change you. Let it adjust your thinking patterns. It's important that we do this because God's ideas and experiences are the best and always good. They're never false. They're never wrong. And they're always the right way of seeing things. And so what do we do? How do we get into this? First of all, you and I should read it. How many of you guys read through your whole Bible last year? Anybody in here? A few of you. Good. Do it again you're going to find out that the second time through, you're going to get a lot more out of it than the first time through. If it's your fifth time through, do it again. See, the Bible's like any book. The more you read it, the better you get. You never get everything out of a book on the first time you read it. Even though we all try, you're not going to, unless you've got a photographic memory, which that's, I don't know any of you like that. But the point is simply that we should be reading it continuously. Why? Because it gives us the ideas of God. It helps us begin to get challenged by God. It gives us something to think about. And then you move into memorizing it. And so I've been memorizing this chapter, chapter 12 of Romans, because I want Taylor Swift to get the heck out of my head. (laughs) And so I've got this down, and I'm going like, "Uh, shake it. Nope, we're going to... Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know, so this is, and what happens is when you memorize Scripture, when we go back to the old children's ministry idea of memorizing Scripture, which we all left back in children's ministry some, for some reason, it gives you hooks for your mind to think. Instead of approaching a problem, and you walk up, and you're like, uh, I don't know what to do. And so your buddy says, well, this is what I tried. And you're like, that sounds good to me conformed by the world, you approach a problem and you go, God, I don't know what to do. And suddenly a scripture verse says, boop, 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 boop. And what happens is the more that you have scripture laid up in your heart, the more you're able to begin to discern what God's will is, and what direction you should go and how things should be. And when you see something on television or the internet, that's an idea, you can say that's bad or that's good, or that's twisted or that's, oh, that, that's powerful. Whether you hear it in church or whether you hear it anywhere. By the way, even the church can be used in this negative way. It has been for centuries to teach evil to people. We need to be discerning from the word of God. Not from what a pastor says, but from the word itself. And so we need to be in this, read it, memorize it, take it in. Then you start to think about it. You meditate on it. You ask it questions. You ponder it. You challenge it. You think through it. That's why we do challenges. We object to statements in the, in the sermon because I want you guys to think about it. I want, it to, I want to show you guys that it's valid and it's true. And hopefully that's what moves us forward, that we're taking it in. And finally, we apply it. Why apply it? So you can live it out. It's one thing to have a bunch of head knowledge, another thing when you know it's true because you've walked in you've stepped in, you've seen what it means, and you do it. And the trick here is that many of us don't get to this. And so we don't end up living out the word of God. We don't end up standing on it. And I love Ephesians 4, which expands like Romans 12 on the same idea. It goes into this almost do not but do this kind of attitude. And so it says, don't let you, the sun go down on your anger, but deal with it with truth and love. Don't have bitterness, wrath, and anger. Instead, be forgiving. Don't have words that tear people down, but have words that build people up. Do not, but do. And then when we start to practice this, you know what happens? People go, that's right. That's good. That's acceptable. We know it's right to forgive people. We know it's powerful to build somebody up than to tear them down. We know it's incredible to love somebody with truth and love at the same time. And that to only give love or to only give truth are both very damaging. And that these things are so accurate that when we see them, people go, that is right. And that's what Paul is saying right here at the end. So that you, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You'll be able to discern what's coming at you from the world, whether it's good, acceptable, and perfect. And you'll be able to discern whether the actions you're taking are good, acceptable, and perfect. And so you end up testing the word and doing it and seeing that it's God's will. And that's really where we want to get to, where it's God's will lived out through us. Now, you've all heard of Apple Time? Anybody heard of Apple Time? Apple did this, but I guess in my thinking, Apple Time is they lie to you how much time it's going to take to download something just so you feel good when it gets done faster. You know, God's not like Apple Time. You may be frustrated that you don't feel like everything has been put together in your life yet. That somehow this, you've been a Christian for many years, you're like, how long does this upgrade take? It takes the rest of your life. It takes the rest of your life to rid out all these thoughts, to learn this process. But once you begin, but some of it's faster, and then it just kind of adds little bits on. But guys, I don't want you to be discouraged, but I want you to begin. Let's start allowing ourselves to be surrendered to God, everything, and allow him to begin to change and transform us so that we can be usable by God in this coming years. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? This morning, uh, if all of branchers, I want you to really begin to ask God to show you those inputs that you're receiving, that you're not thinking about. And even potentially right now, you're ready to just surrender over maybe something to God that you haven't been willing to release so you can be a living sacrifice. I guess still others of you, I want you to hear that maybe you aren't following Jesus, then I want to give you an opportunity to do so. See, he has loved you with a great love. There is a judgment day coming. He will judge us after we're dead. But he has done everything he can to get your attention. And there's no amount of going to church that's going to fix the evil we've done. There's no amount of prayers that are going to fix the sins that we've, we've done. There's no amount of helping people or getting involved in humanitarian efforts. No, none of it erases our past. The only thing that covers our past that God has ever given is a gift that he gave in Jesus Christ. And Jesus' death on the cross pays for those past deeds so that they are not held against you. But instead, you are now given all of God's righteousness so when you stand in front of him, he can have a relationship with you and you can be in heaven. But you have to be willing to receive his gift. And that's what he gives to you. Maybe this morning you need to begin by receiving that gift from God, that gift of love in Jesus Christ, and be forgiven of your sins. If that's where you're at, I'll give you that chance to do so right now. And You may be uncomfortable, but I want to give you the chance by letting me know. You're putting your hand up. You're saying, yes, that's me. I want to receive that gift of forgiveness. I want to be set free from that judgment. If that's where you're at right now and you've got your hand raised or maybe you're just like, I don't really want to do that, but I want to do this. Here, here's a way to pray. Just begin to talk to God by confessing your sins, laying those things you know you've done wrong before him. He already knows them. He wants to see that you know him. As you begin to do that, and you're going to lay those out, you'll then turn away from your sins. You just tell God you're turning away. You want to talk directly to him. Ask him to put your sins upon Jesus. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to now make you new and begin that process. Now invite God into your life to lead you, to guide you all the way through the rest of your life. Tell him that you trust that what you've just done will enable you to have that relationship with him in heaven. God, I lift these people up who are making this prayer to you. I ask that you would answer it clearly, that you would save them from that day of judgment, that you would put them right with you and that you would enter into their lives. God, I pray that you would lead them forward from there and that they would be walking with the church together. In Jesus' name, amen.